Mary did not have the option of taking an early home pregnancy test. She could not run over to the Walgreens and pay $19.99 and then wait to see if the stick turned pink or blue. Mary never had to go through the agony of waiting to see if she was with child. So many of us today long for a child and we wait and we wonder and we worry as we sit in the office of a fertility specialist. Some moms and dads spend months, even years, waiting for the adoption agency to call to say that a son has been born to them, a daughter given to them. But Mary, Mary heard the good news that she was expecting from an angel. She was startled to hear this good news. Mary is like the main character in the movie Lady Bird. How many of you have seen the movie Lady Bird? Oh, gotta go to movies, okay. Lady Bird is a teenager in high school. When her boyfriend comes to pick her up for a date, he waltzes into the family living room to meet Lady Bird's parents, and he exclaims to her mom and dad, you know, I, I actually crossed the railroad tracks to get to your house. I mean, Lady Bird's always telling me that she lives on the other side of the tracks, on the wrong side of the tracks, but I didn't know there were actual railroad tracks that I would cross when getting here. And you can just see her parents' shame as they look down at the carpet, embarrassed. For this affluent boyfriend has no idea what it means to live humbly on the wrong side of the tracks. But Mary knew. She lives in Nazareth, a tiny village of about 1,500 folks, an obscure, insignificant place full of day laborers and kids who have a free lunch at school. Why would an angel show up to announce anything to a young girl in Nazareth? When Mary hears the angel's first words, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you, she replies in stunned silence. Mary, you know, she hears the good news in the same way that so many others before her had heard it. Moses was out tending sheep when that burning bush caught his eye and God announced, Moses, the place you were standing on is holy ground. Come close. I have an assignment for you, Moses. I need you to go and set my people free from slavery, from free from bondage. Jeremiah was living in a virtual wasteland when God appeared to him and appointed him to speak a word of hope and rebuild the moral fiber of the nation. Abraham and Sarah were camping in a tent when the travelers passed by and announced to them that in their geriatric years they would become first-time parents, giving birth to a nation with descendants more numerous than the stars. The angel's announcement to Mary follows this same biblical formula of all the great call stories in Scripture. Big announcement, pushback or objection, and then reassurance. Moses and Jeremiah both tried to get out of their assignment from God by protesting that they were not very good at public speaking. Sarah absolutely laughed out loud when she heard the plan for her to become a mother. Resistance to God's good news seems to be the norm in the scriptures. Do you suppose that Mary was pondering whether she would say yes 
to this assignment? Did she even have a choice in the matter? If the angel is telling her that it's the Holy Spirit who will cause her to conceive and bear the good news with her own life, does she even have an option to say no? Well, in the text, she, like Moses and Jeremiah and Abraham and Sarah before her, does push back. She resists. She protests. How can this be? The text tells us she pondered, and ponder sounds kind of sweet, but a better translation of the word ponder is she debated, she considered, she reasoned. Mary is thinking it through. What would it mean to accept this good news? We can understand why Mary would have replied something like this, Oh God, why me? Go and find another young girl on the other side of the tracks, or better yet, in a palace. Go somewhere else. And that's exactly what Sam Friedman thought. The year was 1940, and Sam was a young lawyer in Connecticut just beginning his career. Sam's brother assigned Sam the job of getting Thurgood Marshall appointed to the bar in Connecticut so that Thurgood Marshall could argue a case there. This was long before Thurgood Marshall was appointed to the Supreme Court. He was only 32 years old at the time when the NAACP brought Thurgood Marshall into Bridgeport, Connecticut to try a famous case where an African-American man was accused of committing a serious crime against his wealthy, elite, Caucasian female boss. This local lawyer named Sam Friedman could not imagine, could not fathom that this case could be won. No one was ever going to believe a black man's word against the white lady's word. Friedman's goal was to get out of the case as fast as possible, but his plan backfired because when he went to the courtroom and asked the judge to admit Thurgood Marshall into the court, the judge agreed and then said, but Thurgood Marshall will never speak a word in this courtroom. And so Sam Friedman had to do all the talking in this controversial case. Friedman's wife was furious with him. Friedman's friends at the synagogue looked askance upon him. Friedman wanted to escape notice, but he was drawn into the case, and as he began to work on this case for justice, he began to see that if one man could be treated unfairly, then so could any man, including him. And so Friedman becomes passionately involved in the case, and after he and Thurgood Marshall win the case, he spends much of his career working on civil rights in the future. In what ways do you and I resist the good news that God might invade our souls and do something new with our lives? Every single one of us, all of us together as a congregation, have lives pregnant with possibilities. On the one hand, we may love hearing this challenge in the angel's voice, but we may be terrified that God might consume us. Answering God's call may feel like too much of a burden, like too much work, or maybe we're afraid we can't really do what it is that God thinks 
we can do. And so like Mary, we ponder, we consider, we reason, we debate, we push away that the thought that the Holy Spirit might want to give birth to a new reality in us. I vividly remember the night, just, just over a year ago now, when Glenn Miles told me that he needed to see me after Bible study that evening. It was a Tuesday night. We met about 8 o'clock over at Avenues in Brookside. I knew, I knew that some kind of unwelcome news was about to be spoken. And over a cheeseburger, he announced to me that he had taken a call to serve a church in Ohio. I was stunned. I began to wonder if God might be calling me. And if God did, what if God was wrong? Could my voice be used by God? Surely not. I'm just Carla. I'm no Glenn. I'm no Bob. I'm no Jean. I'm no Lawrence. I'm no George Hamilton Combs, although I hear he was short. I'm just a girl, a regular person. As I tossed and turned at night, the board met, the personnel committee met, the discernment committee met, the surveys were filled out, there were interviews and more meetings, and finally, in April, I heard the good news that I had been called to serve as the senior minister of this congregation that I love so dearly. In September, I moved across the hall about six feet from my old office to my new office, but sometimes when I walk out of this sanctuary, usually after a wedding or a funeral, when my head is still swirling in the event of that person's life, I meander back down the hall, I turn to go into the office, and I find myself unlocking the door to my old office. If you feel inadequate to be God's holy vestal, you were probably quite ripe for being chosen by God to hear some good news. Maybe God doesn't choose well. Maybe God has the audacity to choose humanity to do the holy work of heaven. My husband came home from church maybe about a month ago with 24 pairs of tube socks. He said, we'll have the grandchildren fill these stockings for Micah Ministry as a little service project. Hmm, I said, do you realize you have to buy all the stuff to go into those socks? Oh, he said. And then he got in the car and he headed out to the dollar store. And when he came home with sacks and sacks of toothpaste and shampoo and chapstick, he was just bubbling over with joy. And I said, what happened? And he explained that the cashier at the dollar store got into the project with him and she helped him sort out what products to buy and where to get the things that they didn't have. And she talked with him about how to involve the grandchildren in learning how to help the less fortunate. And the cashier's joy spurred him on. Somehow her enthusiasm sparked in him holy wonder. No longer was this project a chore, but a joy. God sends us unlikely messengers to awaken us of what God has in store for our shared life.
I'm thinking of my friend John, who recently joined a new church. John had grown up in the church, but he had serious doubts, and he had drifted away from the church. Now the father of three young children, he realized that he was longing for a deeper sense of spirituality, not only for his kids, but for himself. He went to the local church, and he joined a men's group, and he went even on the men's retreat, and at the end of the men's retreat, they had this gathering back at the church, and they said, we want all of you to think about what role you might play in the future of this group. And they gave them the list of assignments. And he came back the following week, and each man went around the circle and said, I, I think God's calling me to help with the service projects, and I think I'm sensing I'd be good on the communication team. And they all shared, but nobody said anything about being the leader of the group. The man seated next to John said, John, I picture you as the leader of this group. You'd be absolutely perfect. And every man in the circle chimed in and said, yeah, we do too. And John had never seen it coming. But now, as the men spoke, he felt a wash and a peace. And he knew that they were speaking as messengers of God's truth. Sometimes even our friends, even our acquaintances, can see in us what we do not yet see in ourselves. When the angel speaks to Mary, the angel says, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And the word favored one is translated also as full of grace. The favored one is the grace-filled one. She is not the perfect one. She has done nothing thus far in the story. God comes to her to say that she can be the place where God dwells. This summer I was out running errands. I was excited to buzz out to Kansas City Airport and pick up my son Connor who was flying in for an occasion. I was circling, looking on the sidewalk at every face, waiting to see if he had come out, scanning the crowds, when all of a sudden I spotted a friend I had not seen in a very long time. I rolled down the window and I shouted at him and he came over and he stuck his head into the car window and he reached out and gave me a hand squeeze. And in that brief conversation, he announced to me that he had been sober for nine years. I recalled how he used to hide booze in the rafters of the basement so that when he told his wife he was going downstairs to do the laundry, he could get a little something to drink. And I recalled when he lost his driver's license. And I recalled the strain on their marriage. The good news was that my friend had finally seen himself in a new light. He had come to see that his life could turn and go in a new direction. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you, full of grace. One preacher puts it like this. Mary's story moves us all from who we think we are to what God has called us to be. How might you hear the good news this holy season? When the lights go dim and the candles are lit, what announcement to your soul would let you know beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that God is giving birth in you. I remember when Connor was about 18 months old. Today is Connor's 22nd birthday. He was still cradled in her arms. And my mom and dad came down from Texas, came up from Texas for Mother's Day weekend. We all came to church together, and after church, we went downtown to eat at some fancy brunch. My parents were going to leave from brunch and head to the airport to fly home, and so just as the brunch was wrapping up, my mom and my stepdaughter Carmen got up and left the table and went into the powder room. A few minutes later, I also excused myself and headed to the powder room. And I remember walking in there and seeing my mom. She was standing in front of the mirror and she was patting the tears away from her face. And she was explaining to Carmen how hard it was to leave and how much she loved us all and how hard it was to live so far away. And I think it was the first time in my entire life that I knew here in the depths of my soul that I was loved emotionally. My mom's tears were like an unexpected announcement. Finally, I knew what had been true all along, the good news that I was loved unconditionally. I think when we hear that good news, the angels, they dance. 